We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and yep, I'm still away on vacation. Has Dylan Cease been traded yet? I've got no idea. I'm in New Zealand. But while I'm away, like most, while traveling, it's a good time to catch up on reading. One of my favorite podcasts is from legendary Chicago sportscaster George Hoffman. For native Chicagoans, you know George. You've been hearing George on the radio dial for decades, almost 50 years, covering Chicago sports. Hell, George helped launch the score, which is, of course, now on 670 AM. A couple of years ago, George started a podcast called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. He invites Chicago sports personalities, former athletes, coaches onto the podcast, and they tell George a story that he doesn't know. Again, George has been covering Chicago sports for almost 50 years. You know you know how hard it would be to tell George Hoffman a story that he didn't already know? So what you get on the podcast is great inside stories and a lot of times never told stories. And George recently has, thanks to Trying Publishing, published a new book of these stories involving many Chicago White Sox connections in Ozzie Guillen, Steve Stone, and former play-by-play broadcaster Jason Benetti. Joining us now on the Sox Machine podcast is the legendary Chicago sportscaster George Hoffman. And George, this is a huge kick for me to finally get you to, to get to chat with you. And thank you so much for joining the Sox Machine podcast. I appreciate it. But, you know, I always blanch at the term legend or legendary. <laughs> legendary are the people that I interviewed. I was just thinking of that this morning. Legendary are people like Bob Costas and Brent Musburger, who I interviewed for the podcast. They're legends. When I look in the mirror and I say, am I a legend? The mirror fogs up. Well, I really enjoyed your book. And in the era of social media, especially the era that we live in today, I wish Twitter was around for some of these stories that people shared with you. Uh, But the book starts with how you went down the path of starting a podcast. And George, I have never related to an author's experience more than reading on how you started your podcast. And of course, the podcast, folks, is called Tell Me a Story That I Don't Know. What was that transition like for you going from 
radio into podcasting and did you enjoy the format well first of all it was kind of a forced transition because back in july of 2020 i was the first casualty at wbbm uh, when they started to make the cuts <clears throat> you know this was covid so i was the first one to go and as it turned out um, odyssey and i'm sure they're involved in this uh, basically told wbbm you're gonna have to start not slashing so much as you're not going to be able to replace people. So when Jeff Joniak left, they didn't replace him. When Dave Kerner retired, they didn't replace him. So it didn't take me long. A couple of weeks afterwards, I decided, you know, I'm going to get into the podcast world. Did I know about podcasting? Absolutely nothing. I <laughs> must have talked to two dozen people, uh, many of whom I had never met before, who were giving me a great deal of advice. I looked at a lot of um, uh, YouTube videos to get the idea of, of doing a podcast, but I knew the kind of format, which was, was basically long form radio spliced in with a lot of sound bites. And that's how I made the approach. And I ran into some people by absolute luck who became very much part of the podcast. Um, I needed somebody to do the, you know, the, not the editing so much, but, uh, to do the uh, the background stuff with the music and what have you. And Dan Levy got me onto a fellow named uh, Will Hatzel. So Will became that guy. And Will got me to a, uh, a uh, photographer or somebody who was in the business of coming up with a, a logo. That was Tatiana Shinkin and then eventually Nick Tochi. First time she got it completely right. And then suddenly a very, very, very close friend of mine, Dave Velocian, is the voice of Memphis Sports, uh, whom I went to high school with, uh, got me in touch with a guy named T.J. Reeves. People don't know who he is. He is the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he also does a whole bunch of podcasts. He says, any friends of Dave Oceans is a friend of mine, and he was the nice. guy behind this podcast. And so the, all of those things worked. There was a lot of people behind it. And we we kicked it off on, uh, of all days, January 26th, which was then the 35th anniversary of the Bears' Super Bowl uh, victory, with Michael Wilbon. What a perfect uh, character to start with. Michael, of course, is a Chicagoan, a Southsider who happens to be a Cubs fan. And I got it. And this is the first time I'm publicly doing this. I've done this privately with Michael and I've done this on social media. But recently, both Michael and Mike Greenberg, who wrote the uh, Greeny, who wrote the uh, forward for this, uh, put out some nice tweets about the book. And then I think it was December 22nd, suddenly here is Wilbon on the set of PTI. This was taped and it was not with his uh, partner, Tony Kornheiser. And he reviewed two books and one of them was mine. And after that nice. went out, the book sales started to really rocket. So Wilbon, thank you again. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what was it like? Because Mike Greenberg, he, he writes the first part of the book, introducing you and for the audience, maybe... If they don't know who you are, George, they find out quickly, very quickly, who George Hoffman is. What was it like helping mentor a young Mike Greenberg, which everybody now knows Greeny? Yeah. Well, I'm the first person he worked with professionally. He was an intern at the old WMAQ All News, which was then the competitor to WBBM News Radio. This is 1989. This string bean, who was a sponge who couldn't stop talking, uh, didn't take me long to really... I admire this kid who really wanted to learn everything he possibly could. He, when he matter of fact, he told me, this is what I want to do. Well, he wound up doing a few more things than what I was doing then. Um, he learned quickly. 
Uh, he, I think, really made a big name for himself when he covered Michael Jordan uh, becoming a White Sox player. And from there, he went to ESPN in 1996. The rest is history. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. The only difference between Greeny and I are the zeros at the back of our check. He has a lot more than I do. <laughs> and when so after the podcast got started, I jumped into the Ozzie Gian chapter in the book. Like I, I got the book, looked at the table of contents, I saw Ozzie Geeks, I remember the podcast episode, and I went directly to that chapter, George. And it's because Ozzie might be the biggest baseball personality in media today. And he's never afraid to speak his mind. But the story that he shared with you and how he became the manager of the Chicago White Sox, there was tidbits that I didn't know about. Like, I'm not surprised that Ozzy was hung over because the Marlins had just <laughs> won the World Series. Not surprised. Yeah. Uh, but the story that he shared with you, becoming the White Sox manager, Ozzy felt like somebody else was already going to get going to be hired. Like yes. He was, he was told Cito Gaston was yeah. going to be the guy replacing Jerry Manuel. Right. See, how did that come to be? Well, Kenny Williams had already chosen him. Kenny Williams had chosen Cito Gaston. It was Jerry Reinsdorf who suggested, why don't you just interview Ozzy? And he did. And he told us afterwards, he was absolutely blown away. Totally. He was stunned at the interview and he hired Ozzy. And you're right, Ozzy has no filter, which is what I think a lot of us like about him. He has a very, very interesting dictionary of four-letter, five-letter, <laughs> seven-letter words, and words after mother. I mean, he's just absolutely great. Um, and he wins the World Series in his second year. Uh, he was a manager for eight years. They were very controversial years, as you know, from Jay Mariotti to the things that he said about players to to him and his kids. And, you know, it, it was just, an, and against Kenny Williams, it was rough. But there's been nobody in the course of the 50 years that I've done this, a manager who I enjoyed more. And certainly Joe Madden is right up there. And if you think about this, Josh, for all these years, there have not been that many colorful managers. Dusty Baker was a very interesting guy. Luke Pinella certainly was with the Cubs. The White Sox, Jeff Torborg, he was a good guy, but colorful people on two fingers, Joe Madden and Ozzie Guillen. And Ozzie was great in the book. And by the way, there are more White Sox in this book. Steve Stone is in this book. Steve is hilarious, just absolutely a stitch. And of course, Jason Benetti, who was with the White Sox when we did the, uh, the interview in the book. And of course, he's now with the Tigers. But I interviewed four more people on the podcast uh, Darren Jackson, Len Casper, Brooks Boyer, and Gene Honda. So there's a lot of personalities with the White Sox. But, I mean, Ozzy, he's the king of them all. What was it like covering Ozzy during the 2005 World Series? Because he, he would flip you off, and that was like a sign of endearment. Uh <laughs> oh, yeah. But what was it like? He did. Let me tell you something. He, he did that once. I, I hadn't been out to the ballpark in a while. Uh, there was a reason for that. So I was encouraged to come out. And, you know, he was holding on uh, the scrum with the reporters in the dugout. And I stayed about 50 feet away. He made eye contact with me. He saw me from a distance and he gave me one of these. And I said, I'm back. He still loves me. <laughs> that's that's Ozzy. It was great. Oh, it was it was 
fabulous. You know, I started, that was a tour for me. I don't know how many cities I was in. I think I started in Kansas City and Detroit. Then we went to Anaheim, Boston, right? Mm -hmm. Anaheim, Boston. I'm going to be missing something here in Houston. No, Anaheim, Boston, Houston. Maybe that's the case. Yeah, I that was I the postseason. Can't remember. Yeah. There was a, that was there was so many, but Houston. I mean, it was a whitewash. They were fabulous. You know, the White Sox were great. Their pitching staff was just sensational. Ozzy pressed all the right buttons, and one of those buttons was he knew when to leave a pitcher in. He had a, a tremendous bullpen. I mean, he was using three closers for that. So remember, he had three closers. He had um, Dustin Hermanson. It was Shingo. Yeah, Shingo Takatsu to that? start Shingo the season. Takatsu. Yeah. Oh, I, I I love that. Remember, they had the big bong when he was coming yeah. in. That was fabulous stuff. Um, but they were the best team in baseball. But remember this. This is Ozzy, and this is I, this is the way he managed. They go into Cleveland the last three games of the regular season, sellouts at then what was called Jacobs Field. Beautiful weather all three days. All the Indians needed was one win to make the playoffs. And remember, they cut the White Sox lead from 15 and a half games to one and a half games in September. All they needed is one victory. And I thought if they made it, they would win the World Series. The White Sox swept them right out. And that was it. And then they went 11 and one in the playoffs. They were just terrific. Yeah, that. What was it like they won 15 of the last 16 games that they played when you include the regular season? Like they started off it's hot. It's hard to find and a they team. finished hot. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to find a team that's done much better than that. Plus, what did they get? Four complete yeah, games? In the that's, ALCS. That's, that that won't happen again. That's, not in today's baseball. <laughs> no, no, not in today's game. Never. No. You mentioned Jason Benetti, and I highly recommend everyone to find the podcast episode between Jason and George. And this chapter in this yeah. book, Jason does a great job of walking the audience, George, through his experience at Syracuse. Now, podcast listeners, especially for those that went to college, you remember how competitive things can be on the university level to trying to find your mark. And media broadcasting at Syracuse is famous for being cutthroat. So here's Jason living with cerebral palsy, having to overcome the difficulties to find his broadcast path is a very inspiring story, but there are some things that he shared with you, George, about his time at Syracuse to help him prepare for, I guess we could call the real world and like how people made comments about how Jason would be a great story for somebody's magazine or Decision makers, when giving assignments, would tell Jason's friends that they were understanding of his quote-unquote situation, and Jason took that to heart. It it brings me back to this sudden departure between Jason Benetti and the Chicago White Sox, and the fact that Benetti, on opening day, will be at Guarantee Ray Field, but calling games for the Detroit Tigers now, and the reported headbutting between Benetti and Brooks Boyer. Are you surprised that Jason left the White Sox in the manner that occurred? Maybe not in the manner that occurred, but I'm not surprised that he left. He even intimated that this wasn't going to be his life's work. Uh, Jason's arrow has been pointing straight up since he got in the business. And so I didn't think he was going to be the White Sox broadcaster for 30 years. There's too much on that guy's plate. I think the White Sox really wanted him to commit to more White Sox broadcasts. And he said, nope, nope, nope. I'm 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 moved on from ESPN to Fox. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm one of their big honchos right now. And he is. I mean, he is 
It wouldn't surprise me if one day he's the number one guy. He's been sensational. And I've said this before. Um, Jason doesn't wear his heart in his sleeve. His body is his heart. He is as sincere a human being as I've ever spoken to. And during the podcast, I just sat back and I, uh, I was, I don't know if I was stunned by what I was hearing, but it was how I was hearing it. Jason um, is so upfront about his life, his career, and dealing cerebral palsy. And, and the, the situations that he had to go through and still goes through. People still look at him, still look at him as a guy with the limp, still look at him because he can't look straight at people. But he learned and he's overcome. And he's overcome to the point where he is one of the premier broadcasters of our industry. And as time goes on, he will be the legend, the type of legend perhaps as Bob Costas and Brett Musburger and Al Michaels are today for those of us who have watched these guys for 50 plus years. That's what Jason Benetti's going to be. Love the guy. He's just, a, he's a terrific human being. Yeah. I always felt ESPN made a mistake, not giving Sunday night baseball to Jason. He crushed it in the stat cast broadcast of like the home run derby and the all-star game. And I, I get it with ESPN. There's a line. <laughs> Some people have been waiting for a really long time, but I just felt like that was a missed opportunity for them. But hey, now we get to hear Jason during college basketball games on Fox Sports. Well, that was part of it too. I think the opportunities were they're there to do NFL football yeah. as well and college football and all of that stuff. And so I think that, you know, that look, he made that jump from ESPN to Fox. He's now made the jump from the White Sox to the Tigers. Do I expect him to be the Tigers broadcaster for the rest of his career? No. I think there'll be another jump when all is said and done. His partner, or his ex-partner, Steve Stone, as we record this episode, we don't know who Steve Stone's partner is going to be in the White Sox TV booth. Right. Uh, but we know Stone's going to be there. And George, in a town of great baseball commentators throughout the years of broadcasting, is Steve Stone the best color, color commentator that Chicago's ever had, whether it's from a Cubs perspective or White Sox perspective? Well, that's part of it. He's done both. And he did, you know, he worked with the legendary Harry Carey, whom he was actually thrilled when he was able to then work with, forgive me, Chip Carey. Uh, that was a weight off his shoulders because what he said about Harry was that Harry was in charge. He held the microphone and, you know, Steve was kind of that second fiddle. With Chip, he was able to be equal. He is a savant. He's amazing at his ability to see a play before it happens. So I'm in spring training. This is, um, it's, I, I believe it was when he was with the White Sox. Um, no, 2008. No, this would have been with the Cubs. Forgive me. So we're sitting in a booth and we're watching a, a, a preseason game. He's not broadcasting. And he looks at me and he goes, George, the batter is going to hit a double to right field on the next pitch. And I'm looking at him going, what? On the next pitch, whoever was hitting, hit a double to right field. And I looked back at him and he smirked. And that's what he does. You, you know it, Josh. He is like a, he's like a baseball savant. He knows what's going to come up on the next play because he's been in this game for such a long time. That, yeah. and he is, his sarcasm is above and beyond 
but he is absolutely brilliantly funny. Boy, could he tell any story that will make you split your sides. You should hear that podcast. I think that was back in 2021. He was great. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Touch on it in the book. What's it like having dinner with Steve Stone when he is holding court? I did that a number of times uh, during the course of time when uh, Steve was between jobs. One night I'm out to dinner with him and David Kaplan. And suddenly Steve goes into this whole bunch of diatribes of stories. And it's at this point, Cap is laughing like crazy. I need a towel. (laughs) Steve knows it. Steve knows exactly how to push the buttons. He is hilariously funny. He's, He's one of those guys who knows how to tell a story. Eddie Olchek is like that as well. Dave Wanstead is probably the king of storytellers. He's in this book. I think when Dave Wanstead came out of the womb, he was telling a story about the Dallas Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson. That's the kind of guy he is. So that's the the great part about the podcast and the book is to center around one or two, and in a couple of exceptions, three stories that they related that I thought were the best of those stories. That's why we did 50 vignettes with a book so that people could understand how I was able to bring them to life. And that's why, uh, listen, here's the book, folks, you got to get the yes. book. Okay. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon books. It's at uh, Barbara's bookstore. I believe it's at several other bookstores and it's well worth it because you will read about 50 different people who have connections to Chicago. Um, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, if you never heard the podcast, it's still out there. But this is a chance to kind of listen in a, in a strange way, reading about 50 people. And then back to you, like 670 The Score, one of the most listened to sports radio channels in the country. They just celebrated their 32nd anniversary. George, you helped launch The Score. And today, almost every major radio market in the country has a sports radio station. But back then... This was like a brand new experience. What was the early days of the score like? 
Well, I, I, I'm part of the group that launched it, but really the, the personalities that launched it were people like uh, Mike North, who convinced the then owner Dan Lee of WXRT to take the station 820 and instead of turning it into a jazz station, turn it into a sports station. When he did that, the people at WXRT were like crazy. So why are you doing that? Well, it turned out to be a tremendous success, and we all got along famously in this little tiny building on 4949 Belmont. Um, the early days were trying to get your foot into the door, and Mike was the guy that helped get the foot in the door. But Dan McNeil and Terry Bores were a wonderful show in the afternoon. Tom, Sharon, Jim Emelo kicked things off in the morning. And remember, we were a dawn-to-dusk station, so in the winter when we started – those were the earliest hours. We weren't on until 7.45, and we were off at 4.30. And by the you know summertime, we were on at, uh, what was it, 6.45 or 6.30 and off at 8.30. But it was, you know, there was struggles along the way, but you learn to adapt. And I had to learn to adapt to a lot of type A, type AA, and in Mike's case, Type AAA personalities, <laughs> but I but I enjoyed it, you know, and I spent 17 years there, and I watched its growth. And look at it now; it's a very prominent radio station. Period in the market, not just a sports station. Its ratings are very very good, and you know the personalities they have there today are 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 really wonderful. Um, and you know they talk about more than just sports, which is what we were trying to do back then. So it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's amazing that it's now 32 years since. And I remember when I was hired, I was hired on my birthday, which was December 28th. And the same day, Greeny was hired as well. So we both grew with that. He was there for a few years before he moved on, and I was there for 17. And covering the Chicago landscape, as long as you have, how has Chicago sports changed when you first start covering it? Are you talking about from the media standpoint? Yeah, like from a media standpoint. Well, when I got in, radio was exploding. That's when radio really started to take off. Um, by the time I'm covering games, which was starting in 1978 for Sports Phone, and then eventually as a freelance, we might have had 12 or 14 people in Radio Row. That's a ton. It kept growing and growing and growing. Now there's just a couple of them. Um, in the summertime, Bruce Levine is there covering baseball. Cheryl Ray Stout is there covering everything. And Kevin Powell. And that's pretty much it that I know of. That there's It's it's a paucity of people because, you know, uh, whereas this device kind of changed everything in, for all of us. Um, and so anchors were uh, done away with. And that's one of the reasons I left the score in, in uh 2009 to join Mike Norris rather short-lived webio is because I knew that they were getting rid of sports anchors and I was very lucky to have landed at WGN radio where for 10 months I worked with the great Dave Ennett and wound up covering the Stanley Cup championship game in Philadelphia when Patrick Kane had that disappearing goal uh, and then was hired by WBBM probably the oldest fighter they ever had at age 56 so um but it's changed. It's changed dramatically. And back when we were beginning, you could interview anybody anywhere. And now it's pretty much, we'll tell you who's going to be available in a post game and sometimes who's available in a pregame. But that's the control that the teams have. And thankfully, I'm not covering games anymore. Yeah, that is a, that is a sore spot these days. 
Uh, <laughs> I'll flip the format on you, George. Tell me a story I don't know about covering the Chicago White Sox during your tenure. Oh, um, I had a chance to interview Bill Beck, which was very cool. I did that in 1970, and I think I still have the picture of me with a score microphone. Uh, not the score microphone, excuse me, the uh, the sports phone microphone. And um, he was such an interesting person. I'll never forget what he said about baseball owners. Think about this now. This is what he said in 1978. He said to me, baseball owners are diametrically opposed to logic. Think about that now. <laughs> Think about the spending that they yeah. do. They are still diametrically opposed to logic. Bill Veck was a step ahead of his time. I was there when he handed off the keys to Jerry Reinsdorf in 1980. So, uh, and you know, it's great to see them win in 1983. They had a really good baseball team. And I think if it wasn't for uh, an injury uh, to Ron Kittle, who I spoke to this morning, uh, happy birthday, uh, uh, Kitty. It, it's, it's very interesting. They, they could have, they could have moved on. They could have been a world series team. They lost to the Orioles, but after that, it became kind of slim pickings, right? They were in there in 83, when were they there again? 93. I was with them in Toronto for that series. Yeah. Then it was 2000 against Seattle, 2005, 2008. Then what is it? 2020 and 21, right? That's it. That's not much. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate, you know, because Jerry Reinsdorf has been, the, you know, he's been Mr. Owner, as I call him now for the last, what, 43 years. Um, it's kind of tragic what's happened to the White Sox in the last uh, year or so. Um, and doesn't look like, and I hate to say this, Josh, doesn't look like they're going to have a very good team this year. <laughs> no, we're, we're doing the best that we can at Sox Machine to prepare everyone for what could be a rough 2024 season. But like with Jerry, he's going to turn 88 in February. How, do you have a sense like how much longer he wants to keep doing this? Like, is this fun to him? Yeah, he's still one of the most powerful owners in the game of baseball. And I, a lot of people strongly believe for well, at least the last couple of years that he should sell the team. He's not going to do that. Um, he's not going to do it yet. Uh, he may go down with a the ship. They're not going to move. They're, they're this dalliance with Nashville. They're, they're, they're not leaving Chicago. But take a look at what's happened just in the last couple of years. He hired Tony LaRussa. Now, LaRussa did guide them to a playoff, but uh -huh. there was a lot of controversy. And then, you know, the wheels started to fall off. And then they hire, you know, their current manager, manager Pedro Grafal. And that was, it was a disaster. But when Rick Hahn started this, rebuild i liked what he was doing he got some really good players out of all of this and why some of them did not pan out uh you know part of the reason is i think there was this reliance on power but lack of defense which is something that the white Sox did for i don't know how many years and take a look at some of the players that didn't work out for them uh Eloy Jimenez still hasn't worked yeah. out for them. I suggested that they trade him three years ago. And the reason I suggested that was he's an injury waiting to happen. He's injury prone. 
Rick Hahn hated the word injury prone. So I changed it. He's brittle. He's a terrific, he's a terrific guy. He's a terrific hitter, not a good defensive player. But he gets injured so often. I said, if you can trade him to the right team, he could be somebody's DH. And at that stage, he was making $9 million. He's still on this team now, and he will get injured again. Yoan Moncada, remember, when they make that deal, I think that was the Chris Sale deal. The guy that they really yeah. wanted was Ben Attendee, whom they now have, who's their highest paid player, which tells you a lot about Jerry Ryan start from the White Sox. Uh, Moncada, unfortunately, really had a very severe case of COVID. And he came back. And he had a fairly decent year last year, but he's got a back issue. He's here now for $24 million this year, and that's it. Dylan Cease. They have to trade Dylan Cease. It's obvious. You know what the White Sox plan is. They will never pay a pitcher a five-year deal. I don't disagree with Reinsdorf on that. I really don't. But you have to find the right way to extend. They did that with Mark Burley, the one pitcher they should have given a long-term contract to. But they don't do that. Now that the team has faltered, they have no choice. They have to trade Dylan Cease. And they have to wait for the right uh, team who's going to give them the right package. There's certainly a lot of teams out there. The Orioles have a lot of young players. The Dodgers, I think they want to win. They want to go 162-0 this year. Maybe they'll do that yeah. with Cease. The Cubs certainly are, are in need of a, a frontline pitcher. And he had, listen, he had a really bad year last year, but he's got the potential to really be a Cy Young winner. Um, but even Michael Kopech, here's another one. I, I, Michael Kopech from day one, there was so much hype around him. But in the end, I suggested they traded Michael Kopech two years ago. Why? Here, He may have stuff. But he doesn't have the stuff here, and I'm not sure he's ever going to be a really successful pitcher. But they, they're they stuck now. Now what you see what they have. They've gone bargain basement shopping. Who they have some other pitchers? Jake Eater, uh, Eric Fetty, who came back from Korea, had a really good year. Chris Flexen, Michael Soroka. All these guys are gamble pitchers that if they pitch the way they had done, in the case of, um, in case of uh, the Fetty, last year in Korea, they might have a reasonably good pitching staff. Martin Maldonado, okay, they they need defense, even though he can't hit. This is just, it's, it's really, really unfortunate what's taken place with this franchise. But you know this, Josh, better than I do. It's the public relations aspect. Yeah. Not the public relations staff, but what's happened to this franchise from Tony La Russa to the current manager to the Magic Bullets. Where are the magic bullets? Where did they come from? I believe they came from Mars. Actually, they came from the ballpark. <laughs> the police haven't figured this one out yet. To Jerry's yeah. statements about, oh, we're not going to pay for Otani. And the way he did it just was, it, it angers White Sox fans. It really, put, and there's no Sox Fest. For four years, there's no Sox Fest. <laughs> yeah. I'll be. I won't be surprised if their attendance drops to like 1.4 million this year. Who wants to go see them play unless they have a really good season yeah. to start? Here's where their sellouts. They'll have opening day sellout. They'll have a sellout against the Cubs, and they'll have a sellout against the Dodgers, and that's it. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you are. I think you're right, especially in the attendance front end. Yeah, all I can do is just sigh and just say, "Hold on, White Sox fans. One day it will change." one day but as you kind of laid out it 
it is like this history of you got 83, you got 93, you got 2000, you got 05, you got 08. 2012 was fun until September. Uh, and then 2020, 60 game season. Yeah, 2021. Well, we'll see what happens as the, as the page unfolds. Look, the Jose, Josh, Jose Abreu left and Jose Abreu left because the White Sox didn't want to give him the money. And I understood yeah. that part. I really did. You know, listen, they've got Vaughn, and I think Vaughn's going to turn out to be a, a really special player for them. But he he really lambasted the team by saying there was nobody together in that locker room. And he wasn't wrong. No, he was not wrong. He was not wrong. Too many factions in that locker room and not the right people to take care of them. So they're, they're changing on the fly. This is another rebuild, and it's going to be a costly rebuild for the White Sox and their fans. Well, you could listen to Tell Me a Story that I don't know wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And, of course, buy George's new book, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, at your local bookstores if you're in Chicago. And if you can't find it in your local bookstore, you could buy the book on Amazon, both the paperback and the Kindle versions as well. And, of course, you could follow George on Twitter. He's at George Hoffman. And, George, it's an honor to chat with you. Congrats on the book, and thank you so much for joining the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you, Josh. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you and good luck to the White Sox. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to at youtube.com slash Machine. And if you're on social media, we're on all the social media platforms at Socks Machine, and you can follow me there at Socks Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. If that interests you, you can sign up again at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.